Praise be to God indeed. That could be the title of the sermon today, actually. I know tomorrow's Halloween, but this is a Thanksgiving text. And so let's pray and ask for the Lord to apply it to our hearts today. Lord Jesus, we pray you would come and talk to us this morning. Come and open up our eyes and our hearts to understand what is being communicated here. And as a result, we would live lives of faith and thanksgiving. Thank you for your word. We pray this in your good name. Amen. The great uh, British preacher of old, Charles Spurgeon, was uh, one time preaching, urging people of all ages to come to faith in Christ. And uh, along the way in that sermon, he gave an uh, an anecdote that I thought uh, reflected the spirit of our text this morning. He, He said in the sermon, I think you will like an old woman of my acquaintance. When I spoke to her about conversion at an advanced age, She said, sir, if the Lord Jesus Christ ever does save me, he shall never hear the end of it. He shall never hear the end of it. The cleansed leper in our story didn't want Jesus to hear the end of his praise. And we are taught throughout the scriptures to give thanks to God in the words of Psalm 103 to never forget his benefits. But ingratitude is the air we breathe in a fallen world. In an episode of The Simpsons, the spirit of godless ingratitude was expressed candidly when Bart was asked to say grace for the meal, and he prayed, Dear God, we pay for all this ourselves, so thanks for nothing. Well, that's an illustration of Romans chapter 1, as Paul is outlining there uh, the depravity of mankind, and he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks to him. Ingratitude is at the very heart of our sinful nature. Or as Paul is talking about uh, what's going to characterize the last days, the days in which we live, he says people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. The philosopher Snoop Dogg has a song that illustrates the the self-centered nature of ingratitude that turns us inward on ourselves And instead of praising God, we praise ourselves. He has written in a song, I want to thank me for never quitting. I want to thank me for always believing. I want to thank me for always being a giver. I want to thank me, oh yes I do. And on he goes, thanking himself. Romans chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 3 on full display. Well, even as believers, it's easy for us to fall into a spirit of ingratitude, to grow discontent, joyless, envious of others. 1 Thessalonians 5 is a great instruction for us as Paul writes at the end of that letter, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. One thing is for certain, uh, tomorrow when you wake up, what, what God's will for you is, is that you be thankful. In all circumstances, it doesn't mean all the circumstances are great, and much of life they're very not great, But because of what Jesus has done for us, we always have reason to give thanks to God. We always have reason to be a grateful Christian. But there is a challenge, right, of of kind of growing so familiar with grace that the thankfulness sort of uh, wears off. And we need to remember that what we have in Jesus Christ is better than anything we can ever imagine. If Jesus calls you son or daughter this morning, if you belong to Jesus Christ, he should never hear the end of your praise. And gratitude is a great antidote to many spiritual problems. 
In fact, I would just encourage you maybe this afternoon or later this week or even in your small group, maybe to read through the book of Colossians. It's just four chapters and see how often thankfulness pops up in that little letter. And it's very interesting and instructive, I think, because that is a book where Paul is trying to tell the Christians that what you have in Jesus is enough, that Christ is sufficient, and that you don't need Jesus plus the folk religion, you don't need Jesus plus the mystical religion. What you have in Jesus is enough, and the way you sort of fight that discontentment is with a spirit of thankfulness, of pondering all that you have in Jesus Christ. Well, in this story in front of us, we see that gratitude, thankfulness, is one of the signs of saving faith. And sort of the big idea I want to get across to you this morning is quite plain in this text. And that is faith in Jesus should lead to thankfulness to Jesus. That real saving faith really does lead to real gratitude. So let's look at the text in three parts this morning. First of all, we see ten desperate lepers. Secondly, we see one thankful Samaritan And thirdly, we say one way of salvation. So first, the ten desperate lepers. We see in verse 11 that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Now, Luke, if you haven't been with us, sets out at the very beginning of his book, and he he says that he wants to write an orderly account to his friend Theophilus. So Theophilus, who uh, may have been a new Christian or not yet a Christian, uh, he he wants him to know, Luke says, the certainty about the things that have been taught. And he's writing to his friend Theophilus an orderly account, he says. And this book follows a very orderly account. And that order is often expressed through this idea that Jesus is going to Jerusalem. What's in Jerusalem? The cross is in Jerusalem. This is how Jesus would ultimately cleanse us. How he would, he would take away our filth and give us his righteousness is by what's going to happen in Jerusalem. From the beginning of the book up until chapter 9, verse 50, he's mainly in the Galilee region. And then in 951, it says that he sets his face to Jerusalem. That's the first of three markers of Jesus going to Jerusalem. There's another one in chapter 13, verse 22, and then in our text here in chapter 17, verse 11. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Eventually, he arrives in Jerusalem, Luke 19, 28. And after that, we read about the passion of Christ. In other words, the whole book is told within the shadow of the cross. And what Luke is telling us now in verse 11 is that Jesus is on his last leg to Jerusalem. He's almost there. And as he's traveling there, he goes to an unspecified place between Samaria and Galilee. And in verse 12, we see that Jesus encountered uh, these ten lepers. And it says that they, had to, uh, that they kept their distance. And they had to keep their distance because of their condition. Now, this is the only place in the Gospels where this particular story is told. It's only in, in Luke. But if you were here with us, you remember that there was another scene in chapter 5 where Jesus heals a leper. And we noted there that lepra refers to various uh, skin diseases. Uh, and it's not what we would typically refer to as Hansen's disease or leprosy today. It's, it covers a wide range of skin diseases, uh, and you can read about that if you like in Leviticus 13 and 14. And to have leprosy, though, meant that this person was totally ostracized. These lepers could not be near their family, they could not go to the temple, uh, they could not be near their friends. It was, they were socially uh, alienated psychologically disoriented, and one writer called having leprosy having a living death. 
So you not only had a health problem to deal with, you had relational problems, you had spiritual problems, you literally lost everything. And one of these lepers was a Samaritan. Now, the Jews and Samaritans, as many of you know, did not associate with each other. But here they are associated with each other because they're united by a common misery. And so they're together, probably supporting one another, and to their great surprise and delight, Jesus is making his way in God's providence near where they're standing. And so they cry out at a distance, and it's interesting as you see the kind of spatial dimensions uh, referenced in this story, they begin at a distance, but one of the lepers later in the story is at the feet of Jesus. And this is what Jesus has come to do. He's come to take away the distance that is between us and God. He's come to draw us near. He's come to bring lepers near that we may fall at his feet and offer our worship to him. They cry out in verse 13, have mercy on us. We've heard that refrain several times in Luke. We'll hear it more again. Have mercy on us. And so that's their desperate plea. Now notice what happens in this story, verses 14 to 18. We encounter one thankful Samaritan. It says that Jesus sees them and he responds to them by saying, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, here, uh, Jesus urges them to go do something. In the story in uh, Luke chapter 5, he actually touches the leper. But here, Jesus is able to heal them, we see, at a distance. And he tells them to go show themselves to the priest because you had to be cleared. You, to be officially cleared of a leprosy, the priest had to declare you to be uh, clean. And so, the lepers act on this with some degree of faith. Maybe they're thinking, well, what can it hurt? Let's just go show ourselves to the priests. And something remarkable happens in the middle of verse 14. As they went, they were cleansed. Now, you've got to imagine this moment here. I mean, I, I think it's amazing enough that you can drive your, cell, your car into the car wash over here, and you, got, you can just sit there, all the beautiful colors spray your car, and you got the radio on, and then in a minute you pop out and you got a clean car. Think about this. These people with this living death, all of a sudden notice their, their hands, their, their skin becoming fresh and clean. This guy could be on the cover of the Samaritan Skin Care magazine. They're, they don't, they're not traveling with mirrors, so I imagine they're looking at each other beholding what has just happened. And this is more than just a, a cool story, a miracle story, it's, it's a sign of the messianic age. It's a sign that the Messiah is here. It's a sign that this Messiah is giving us a preview of what he will do on the last day, when he will take away all diseases. You remember in, in Luke chapter seven, John the Baptist is having kind of a, a, a bad day, and he's wondering if Jesus actually is the Christ. And so he sends a messenger, hey, uh, are you really the, the Messiah? And Jesus responds by saying, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. No one else has a resume like that. No one else can claim the, the CV that Jesus has. He is in a category by himself. And yes, he is the Messiah, and one of the signs that the, the Messiah had arrived was that he would cleanse lepers. So what kind of response should this lead to? Well, notice verse 15 and 16. We see the right response from a surprising source. 
One of these lepers stops dead in his tracks, and he turns back, praising God with a loud voice. And Luke says, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him. He stops, he turns back, he says, you know, the priest inspection can wait. I have got a, a, a compelling urge to go back and give thanks to Jesus. One writer says, the Samaritan was seized with an irresistible emotion of gratitude. James Edwards comments on this passage about this word for return, and he notes that it's an unusual Lucan term. 21 of his 22 occurrences are in the Gospel of Luke, and he says here the concrete act of returning is also symbolic of converting faith. Something has happened profoundly in this guy's heart, and we see that borne out later in the story here. And now he's no, he no longer has to be isolated. He no longer has to be separated from people. And so he praises God with a loud voice, and he falls at Jesus' feet and gives him thanks. It's a beautiful picture. And it's very reminiscent of the story of Elisha and Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5. If you're not familiar with that story, Naaman was a Syrian uh, military leader, and, but he had leprosy. He was a, a notable figure, but the text says, but he was a leper. And he was an outsider. He wasn't part of the people of Israel. But there was a little girl from Israel who had been taken captive, and she whispers in Naaman's wife's ear, if he would go to the prophet Elisha, Elisha could heal him. So he makes his way to uh, the prophet Elisha, and Elisha, like Jesus, tells him to do something before he's healed. He tells him to dip himself in the Jordan River seven times. At first he protests, but eventually he does it. And he is completely healed. But instead of going back to Syria, Naaman returns to Elisha and gives him thanks. And here the cleansed leper turns to the one who is greater than Elisha. The one who is worthy of all worship. And he bows down. He gives thanks to God. It says with a loud voice. Now these two words in Greek for loud voice is where we get the word megaphone from. And they go phones and megales. He wants to praise God with a megaphone. And, and wouldn't you want to do the same? I mean, we shout when something like, you know, getting through surgery successful happens. Or at least some, some of you do. I don't know if some of you shout much of anything, perhaps. But, um, but it's okay to, 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 to sing with a loud voice, as the psalmist tells us, to follow this, this leper here. When you recognize what Jesus has done for you, this, this one here who could not go to the temple, who, who could not be with his family, is now looking at the one to whom the temple pointed, the one who's brought ultimate cleansing. He's no longer alienated, and friends, if we're in Christ, we are no longer alienated from God. This guy was filled with shame, and no longer is he filled with shame, and neither are we. He was a living death, and now he's a living worshiper. And so we have reason, don't we, to praise God with a loud voice, to bow down before Jesus, because we know that a new creation is coming to us. New bodies will be given to us to be fitted for that new creation, that we will see Jesus Christ, that we'll be gathered with the redeemed from every tribe, tongue, people, and language, that the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. We have reason every single day in all circumstances to give thanks to God through Jesus Christ because it just doesn't get any better than this. I don't know if some of you may recall the old Milwaukee beer commercials and they would have some guys around a fire and they would, they would look at each other after sipping their old Milwaukee and say, guys, it just doesn't get any better than this. 
Well, I think there's a lot of things better than old Milwaukee and, and being around a fire. Being cleansed by Jesus Christ, being adopted into God's family, being united to Jesus and to other believers, to have the promise of heaven, to know future glory awaits us, it doesn't get any better than that. And so we praise our God. We give thanks to the Lord for he is good, as the psalmist says. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And it's significant also that he gives thanks to Jesus. This is the only place in the New Testament where thanks is specifically directed to Jesus rather than thanks be to God. So here is a a, a text that is supporting the deity of Jesus, that he is indeed worthy of our thanks, worthy of our praise. Daryl Bach reminds us that when you survey the scriptures to see what we are called to be thankful for, often it's not specified. It's it's often sort of a fill-in-the-blank exercise. So you can ponder the goodness of God and how his goodness has been manifested to you to give thanks for that. And if you run through a list, and I have a list here, I'm not going to read all the reasons for thanks that are given to us in the, the, the Bible. I only have a sampling anyway. One of the things that's very striking is that we're always giving thanks to God and for people, and we're never giving thanks in the text for things or possessions. That we give thanks to God, we give thanks to Jesus Christ, and we give thanks for others. Now, one of the things we, we need to follow with this Samaritan is the need to verbalize, I think, our thanksgiving. Tim Keller writes, it's one thing to be grateful, it's another to give thanks. Gratitude is what you feel, thanksgiving is what you do. So let's not just feel grateful, we should feel that way, but let us give thanks. That's the right response to to grace. Now, notice the surprising source here. It says that this guy was a Samaritan. And they may not mean something to you if you're not familiar with the Bible, but as I've already mentioned, the Jews and Samaritans had no dealings with each other. In fact, they hated each other. And yet Luke wants us to see here that an outsider is the one who is the model of faithfulness. He was a Samaritan. It's very similar to the story of the Good Samaritan, where there the hero of the story isn't the priest or the Levite, but rather the Samaritan. So now we have two stories in Luke that give us an example to follow that come from outsiders. The Samaritan's charity in Luke 10 is now matched by the Samaritan's piety in Luke 17. The first Samaritan showed mercy. This Samaritan thanks God for mercy. Now, the text doesn't tell us why the Samaritan responded this way and the other nine did not, but like the story of the Good Samaritan, they they definitely saw things differently. Something landed in their heart differently. And the two stories give us two appropriate actions for everyday life as a Christian. One is to love our neighbor, and the other is to thank our Savior. That's a, that'd be a good book, actually, The Samaritan Way, or something like that. I just thought of that in my head. Maybe it's not a good book. But um, those are two things that, that we need to, to, to keep in mind, two things that Luke drives us at. Regardless of where you're at in spiritual maturity, we never get beyond these things as, as older Christians every day to love our neighbor as ourselves and to give thanks to Jesus. Now, it's significant Luke just keeps driving at the fact that the outsiders are are folded into the people of God. He keeps showing us these surprises. And we were prepared for this in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus preached his sermon in Nazareth. 
He set people in rage because he mentions the fact that the Syrian Naaman was cleansed as a leper, even though there were other lepers in Israel who were not cleansed. The least likely were the ones who experienced the blessing. And what you see is that Jesus has a heart for outsiders. He has a heart for those who the religious people didn't think belonged. You, you might call this uh, Samaritan leper a double loser. He was not only a Samaritan, but he was a leper. And Jesus cleanses him, and he becomes a worshiper. And it show, shows you that Jesus loves to make outsiders insiders. And if you're here this morning and you feel like you don't belong, you don't have the right background, you're not cool enough, you don't have enough verses in your memory, that this, this faith stuff is for other people, let this story tell you otherwise. You're a great candidate to be a worshiper, to be brought in by Jesus Christ and transformed. He is gathering unlikely worshipers from every tribe, people, language, and nation. Well, that leads into Jesus asking some sobering questions about the absence of gratitude. As he looks and he asks these questions, we're not 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? So it's kind of encouraging. Jesus only got one out of 10. Makes us feel better in some of our attempts, right? <laughs> and one out of 10 is not very good in anything, I don't think. Uh, that's my percentage of good shots in golf. It's about one out of 10. Uh, it's a terrible free throw percentage. And even in the most gracious game, baseball, a very forgiving sport where three out of 10 is very good as a hitter. One out of 10, you're not even on the team. So in, in no sport is one out of 10 good. And Jesus here is asking, where are the other nine guys? Now previously in chapter nine, he laments over the lack of faith. He says, I haven't even found faith like this in Israel. And now he laments the, the lack of gratitude. These are two things that get Jesus' attention. Two things that Jesus expects. Two things that we should give, faith to Jesus and gratitude to Jesus. The other nine were apparently more taken with the healing than the healer. They were more taken with the benefits of Jesus than Jesus. It's like John 6 when the, the uh, people are following Jesus because of the miracles, and he says, you're seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because I gave you bread to eat. How sad and wrong it is to... Enjoy the benefits of Jesus without loving Jesus himself. Now, we, we don't have all the details of what happened in this story. Did, did they think, perhaps, well, I'll come back after I go to the priest and give thanks? Well, it would be too late because as far as we know, they never saw Jesus again. Maybe they just sort of have a, a vague faith in sort of the, the, uh, the, a general uh, divinity. They were certainly not in awe of Jesus. And they missed a great opportunity, didn't they? They reflect their ancestors in Israel who were often marked by ingratitude, who forgot the mighty works of God. And so Jesus raises the question, how can this just, the, the foreigner be the one who is here? The foreigner, interestingly, was, is the word in Greek that appeared uh, around the temples that separated the court of the Gentiles from the Jewish sanctuary proper, where no foreigner was allowed to, be, to, to enter in. And now Jesus Christ has come, and he says, you don't even need to go to the temple anymore. I am here, and you're not held at arm's length. 
you're actually welcomed. This one who had been alienated from the temple and because of leprosy had been alienated from society has now been brought in to Jesus Christ and he welcomes him. He becomes a model of faithfulness for us. Now, as we think about thankfulness and gratitude, I think sometimes we may think, well, this is a good option, but it's not a necessity. But I would argue that gratitude, that thankfulness, is at the heart of our faith. Jesus is asking, where are the nine? Gratitude is not an optional extra. It's a vital necessity. It's a fitting response to God's grace. Grace, the word charis, and the word eucharisto, thankfulness, they go together. Proper response to grace is a heart of thanks. Now, I have to quote Luther at least once because tomorrow is the Reformation Day. So this is my Luther quote. I've shared this before, but it's one of my favorites from Luther, the great reformer, who says that we experience God's grace in three ways. Once for all, again and again, and more and more. Once for all, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, again and again, daily, as he forgives us, loves us, cares for us, and more and more. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. As James says, he gives more grace. And the proper response to that grace is a life of thankfulness. And this leper is showing us the way. Well, that leads us to the final piece here, verse 19, one way of salvation, and that is faith in Jesus. The guy comes to Jesus, and Jesus says to him, rise, go your way, your faith has made you well. He says, rise and go your way. You're good to go, pal. Your faith has made you well. Made well can be translated, your faith has saved you. That's the word that is used, this particular word can be translated either way. We've noted this before in Luke's gospel. Both would be true. He is physically well. His faith has made him well. But there's something even deeper than a physical healing that seems to have happened in this guy's heart. He has experienced salvation in Jesus. The other nine had some kind of superficial belief, enough belief at least to get them to go to the priest, a belief perhaps in miracles, but they didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus the way this leper does. His faith has saved him. His faith has made him well in the fullest sense of the term. Now, four times in Luke's gospel, this phrase is used, your faith has made you well. In chapter 7, verse 50, when the sinful woman barges into the party and is pouring out praise to Jesus at his feet, and Jesus says, he who is forgiven much loves much, and he says, rise and go, your faith has made you well. The other is the, the hemorrhaging lady in Luke chapter 8, who also experiences the, the, the grace of Jesus. And then later in uh, the story of the blind beggar, your faith has made you well. That is never uttered to a Pharisee or a Jewish leader. It's only conveyed in Luke's gospel to those who are labeled as sinners, outsiders, unclean, uh, the needy. And that's because Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost. He came to give us more than just good health in this life. He didn't come just to do some miracles. He came to give us a relationship with God through him. And it's through faith that we are saved. It is by our faith, by his grace, through faith, Paul says in Ephesians 2, we read earlier, that we have been saved. Remember last week the disciples asked Jesus, increase our faith. 
in chapter 18, verse 8, we'll look at next week, the persistent widow who is praying. Jesus says, will the Son of Man find faith when he comes back to earth? Faith gets his attention. Faith is what he's looking for. And so if you're not a Christian this morning, we hold out to you the cleansing power of Jesus Christ. The salvation that you cannot earn, you can only receive by faith. And this text should tell you that you don't have to stay alienated from him. Jesus isn't keeping you at a distance. You can come to him. All may come to him. And we would love to talk to you about that. And if you are a Christian, may this, this text cultivate a heart of thankfulness in you. As you ponder all that God has done for you in Jesus Christ, when you realize that we already have the best thing anyone could ever give us, better than anything anyone could give us, that we would never take Jesus for granted, may he never hear the end of it. As my friends at Beautiful Eulogy, a, a bit of a contrast to Snoop Dogg, write in one of their songs, Lord, you did everything required to save us and bring us into your presence, so to know you and behold you as our heart's desire. There is nothing greater to acquire. Holy, holy, holy is the song of the choir. There's nothing greater to acquire than Jesus Christ. May he never hear the end of our praise. Father, we thank you for your word today. May we be marked by faith and gratitude all the days of our lives. That we never get over the wonder of what Jesus has done. We who were at a distance have been brought near. We who were dirty have been made clean. We who are alienated have become sons and daughters. Even now as we prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper, you continue to minister to your people in deep and profound ways that we may be people of praise, that Jesus would never hear the end of our thankfulness. We pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.